Hello, welcome to worship. We are so glad you're here. I'm Pastor Jason, one of the pastors at Schweitzer. It's a great day to worship the Lord. Every day is a great day to worship the Lord. If you're new worshiping with us for the first time, we invite you to go follow the link that says I'm new. We've got a gift card we'd love to send to you. We're so glad you're joining us in worship today. Today kicks off a new sermon series. It's called The Two Sons, about two sons who go different places from their father, but the father has a, a desire to reconnect with them. If you want to grow deeper in your faith, if you go to sumc.co next, you'll find questions that follow the sermon series, and you'll find other ways that you can connect and grow deeper in your faith with God. Next up, we've got Stephanie with some ways that we can connect here at Schweitzer. Hi, I'm Stephanie. We are gearing up for an exciting fall with our youth and our fifth and sixth grade ministry, and we would love to tell you more about it. If you're a parent of a youth in grades five through 12, or you're a youth in one of those grades, join us on August 29th for a youth and parent meeting and lunch. And we'll tell you more about all the exciting things we have planned and how you can be more involved. Find out more and sign up at sumc.co slash next. Earlier this year, we shared some information with you about a new ministry here at Schweitzer called Second Season. Second Season is a ministry focused on those ages 55 and older in helping them engage and connect in new ways. It may seem like a ways off, but we'll be hosting a kickoff event for this new ministry the first weekend in October. Contact Pastor Jim Mason for more details about this exciting new ministry or find out more at sumc.co slash second season. Coming up on Labor Day weekend, September 5th, we'll be having Family Worship Sunday with all of our ages worshiping together at both our 9 and 1045 a.m. services. This means there will be no kids ministry that Sunday. Also, an exciting thing happening this day is that we'll be led in worship by a bluegrass band in both services. So this will be a great Sunday to invite a friend for something a little different. We'll look forward to seeing you there. We know there's a lot going on at Schweitzer and it's very easy to miss an announcement here or there. The best way to stay in the know is by signing up for our e-newsletter that's sent out each week. You can sign up by heading over to our website at sumc.co and you'll see a sign up button right there where you can sign up to receive that e-newsletter and stay up to date on all of the happenings here. Once again, we are so glad you're with us today. Let's continue with worship. Thanks, Stephanie. If you're worshiping with us live today, we invite you to check in and use the chat feature. Say hello to your friends. Say hello to people you've never met before, but they could be great friends for you. Now, let's prepare our hearts to worship the Lord. Uh, come, Lord Jesus, come. Uh, speak to us, guide us, lead us. We're here for you. Amen. When the best of me is barely breathing, when I'm not Slamming all the doors you open, 
Friends, today we're going to be looking at the story of Luke 15, of two sons who are far from their father. One actually goes far away to be far from his father. And that aspect of that story reminds me that there are times in our life where we each of us have people that we miss. And so as we come to a time of prayer, I want to lead us in a prayer that comes from the book Every Moment Holy about those moments in life when you're missing someone. They can be somebody that's actually physically close, but maybe distant, or maybe they're far away. And maybe there's something that we bear and we want to bring before the Lord. And so the words of this prayer are going to be on your screen. And I invite you to pray along with me these words that we find in this prayer. Kind Father, you created our hearts for unbroken fellowship. Yet the constraints of time and place, the stuttering rhythms of life in a fallen world, dictate that all fellowships in these days will at times be broken or incomplete. And so we find ourselves in this season, bearing the sorrow of our separation from, you can name a person or many persons. We acknowledge, O Lord, that it is a right and a good thing to miss deeply those whom we love, but with whom we cannot be physically present. Grant us, therefore, courage to love well, even in this time of absence. Grant us courage to shrink neither from the aches nor from the joys that love brings, for each willingly received will accomplish the good works you have appointed them to do. Therefore, we praise you even for our sadness, knowing that the sorrow we steward in this life will in time be redeemed. We praise you also knowing that these glad aches are a true measure of the bonds you have wrought between our hearts. Now use our sorrows as tools in your hand, O Lord, shaping our hearts in a truer imitation of the affections of Christ. Use even this sadness to carve out spaces in our souls where still greater repositories of holy affection might be held unto the end that we might better love in times of absence and in times of presence alike. We now entrust all to your keeping. May our reunion be joyous whether in this life or in the life to come. How we look forward, O Lord, to the day when all our fellowships will be restored, eternal and unbroken. Amen. So, Lord, we lift up this prayer. All of us have folks with whom we, are, we miss 
deeply in our hearts. And we lift those people up to you and we do praise you that even in this moment, we can find your presence and you are always calling us home. So take the prayers that we've prayed and receive them and do your work in us and teach us to pray as together we pray the prayer Jesus taught us. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Hey friends, as we come to a time of offering, it is always good to be reminded about what generosity does and how it brings the kingdom close. About 10 days ago, we hosted the last blast of summer on the Schweitzer campus here in Springfield, Missouri. We had so many people comment about how this event really touched and ministered to them. So let's take a look at what happened at the last blast of summer. That was a blast, utterly fantastic. I got wet on a very hot day, all kinds of fun, and all kinds of people had fun that day. Your generosity helps make that kind of stuff happen. You can go to sumc.co slash give, or you can use the Church Center app to continue to see what God does in and through the ministry of Schweitzer. Thank you so much for being generous. Now it's time for our sermon. We enter into this new series on the two sons with this Message from Pastor Spencer. Jesus tells a story of a family. One father, two sons. It's a story of heartbreak and betrayal, selfishness and isolation. It's also a story of healing and redemption, reconciliation. It's a story that teaches that everyone is welcome and invited into the family of God. No matter what your life may look like, no matter how far from God you may feel, no matter how isolated or alone you may be, everyone is welcome into the family of God.
Well, welcome today. My name is Spencer. I'm so glad you're here with us. Thank you for joining us today. Uh, we're going to start a new series called Two Sons, looking at a, the next three weeks, a story that Jesus shares about a family, a father and two sons, and, and how the dynamics go awry and then come back together. But before we get to that story, I want to read to you from Luke chapter 15, which is where um, that story is found, and just kind of see how the story comes about and why it is that Jesus tells us, because it's so, so important to, to get into what Jesus tells us. So here's where it starts. Luke 15, verse 1. It says, Now the tax collectors and sinners... We're all gathering around to hear Jesus. Catch this, tax collectors, sinners, outcasts, people other people would have judged and, and thought they have no room to come near Jesus. Jesus attracts them. Jesus attracts all kinds of people. But that also leads to criticism. So verse two, but the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, the religious leaders, the self-righteous, they muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. And so Jesus, he hears, they're complaining. He hears what he's saying. They're saying, and, and he's got a response to them. Three stories. The last one is where we're going to spend our time. But I want to read the first two because they're so good. And they set up the last story so well. They're real fast. Let me read to you real quick. Here's the first one. Then Jesus told them this parable. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. And then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me. I have found my lost sheep. I tell you, in the same way, there'll be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. That's the first story. Here's the second one. Or suppose a woman has 10 silver coins and loses one. Doesn't she light a, a lamp and sweep the house and search carefully until she finds it? And when she finds it, she calls her friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me. I have found my lost coin. In the same way, I tell you, there was rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. And so Jesus hears their muttering. He hears their complaining. He hears their, their bickering about him. And, and his response is to talk about the extravagant love of God, how God goes out of his way to search for those who are lost. And when he finds them, he rejoices and he throws a party. And in the same way, Jesus is going to tell a much longer story. This is where we're going to be for the next three weeks in our series about this family, two sons, one father, and here's how the story goes. Jesus continued. He's still on it. He's not going to let them go with their, their complaints. Jesus continued. There was a man who had two sons. Here's our, here's our, our sermon series. There's a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. And catch this. He says this to his living father. He's like, hey, dad, give me what's mine whenever you die. I want it right now. It's basically he's saying, hey, dad, you're worth more to me dead than you are alive. How shameful. I mean, what a terrible thing to say to his father. Like the Bible is, I guess, full of like healthy family dynamics. Here's a terrible, healthy family, di here, terrible dynamics. But here's the crazy thing is his father, he does it. Here's the next line. So he divided his property between them. He divided his property between them. Now, remember this is a translation, a more literal reading of that line is that he divided his life between them. Not property, but life. Because the word there that we translate as property is the Greek word bios, which is where we get the word biology. It's like he divided his life's work between them, his life's toil, his life's passion, everything he's poured his life into, he divided that between them. Now, before you start wondering to yourself, well, maybe that's what they did in the first century, back in Bible times. Maybe, maybe what they would do is they would give the inheritance while the father was still alive so that, so that the children would have like a leg up in life, have a chance at life. And so maybe that's what they did. And before you start thinking that, that maybe that's the, the thing that they did in the first century, well, you should know they didn't. 
That's not how the first century worked at all. This would have been an incredibly destructive thing for this family to lose half their value because what the son is going to do is liquidate the, the estate, tear it into cash, and, and, and this would have been devastating for generations with this family. Not just devastating, it also would have been shameful, so shameful that this father whose estate now is divided in two and everyone would have seen other people working the family's land. It would have been so incredibly shameful. But I think what's so fascinating about this story is that the father, he does it. He, he lets it happen. Like even knowing that this is going to cause destruction, he still lets his son make this kind of choice. Now, usually when we read this story about the two sons, we, we love to jump ahead in the story to when there's some reconciliation and healing, which we will get to. But I think it's helpful to, to, to pause and to think about this betrayal a little bit deeper because this, this betrayal is, is just astounding and it raises some really, really interesting questions. So again, I don't, I don't wanna to get too far into the story because we haven't gotten very far yet in the story, but, but like a little spoiler alert, um, God, uh, the father in the story, he represents God. I don't know if you knew that yet, but he does, he represents God. And as God, I think it's an incredibly interesting question to, to start asking of, of why did the father allow his son to make this kind of choice? In the same way, why does God sometimes allow us to make those kinds of choices? Why, why does God allow us sometimes to make the kind of choices that are harmful, the kind of choices that lead to destruction? Like, why does God let these things happen in, in our lives? Which is kind of a basic question of faith that many, many people have wrestled through of, of like, why does God let bad things happen to us? And one part of the answer to that question, I mean, it's not the only part of the answer to the question, but one part uh, of the answer to that question is, is simply because God has given us choice. And, he, and he's let us have choice. Even when that choice has caused harm to ourselves or others, God has, has given us choice. And of course, God has given us choice because God loves us. I mean, part of love requires that there would be choice even when that choice causes harm. Like you, you have to have choice if you're gonna have love because otherwise what you end up with is like robots. And, and God hasn't like pre-programmed us to be obedient and to do all the right things. He's given us this choice to follow him, to love him, to be in relationship with him. But, but sometimes he's also given us the choice to fall away from him, which is what we've seen in the scripture. From the very beginning, Adam and Eve and their children, Cain and Abel and everyone who followed afterwards has been given this choice between which path in life are you gonna walk on? And, and how are you gonna choose and what are you gonna choose and what is your life gonna look like? The, the nature of God being love is that he has given us choice. But let's be honest, sometimes we make stupid, stupid choices. Sometimes those choices are not just stupid, but they're harmful. And sometimes we don't even realize that the stupid choice we've made is, is actually hurting us. I remember this one time I was, I, was, I was meeting with this person who went to our church and this person was asking me this question of why is my life imploding? Why is God letting these bad things happen to my life? This person was going through a divorce at the time and she was like, why is, why is this happening to me? Why, why is this going on? And I think sometimes people come to the pastor because the pastor's supposed to make you feel good. You're gonna hold your hand, pat you on the back, you know, tell you everything's gonna be okay, God loves you and all that kind of thing. And, and I guess I wasn't really in one of those kind of like, I'm gonna make you feel good kind of moods. And so I, I looked at this person, I said, why is God letting this happen to you? It's, it's because you left your husband for another man. Like, you made a choice. 
Your choice has consequences. You reap what you sow. You make bad choices. Things come back at you. And so, and so God, he, even God lets us make bad choices, even when it comes back on us, even when it destroys us, which is what we see in the, in the story here. Verse 13 it says, not long after that. Remember, not long after, um, I wish, I said to my father, I wish you were dead. Not long after the son says this to his father, I wish you were dead. The younger son got together all he had. He's liquidated the estate, put all in cash, and he set off for a distant country and there squandered his wealth and wild living. And lots of people have wondered, why did the son have to go to a distant country, a distant land? Why, why did he have to do that? Because you can squander your, your wealth and wild living right here in town. So why did he have to go far away to do that? And, and a lot of people have noticed, well, maybe it's because um, he was so ashamed of the way that he was going to live. Like he didn't even want to be reminded of his father. He didn't want to, his dad to even begin to see how he was going to live. So he has to go to this distant land, no connections, no history, no past. And so he can live however he wants to. So he's going into this distant land of wild living. And, and it says this, verse 14, after he had, after he had spent everything um, there was a severe famine in that whole country and he began to be in need. So he went and he hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him his, to his fields to feed pigs. And he longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. What a sad line. No one gave him anything. I mean, imagine his situation here. He had it all. He had all of this wealth. He had all of this, this, uh, this fun that he was living. I imagine he had lots of people because he was probably just passing out uh, and, and, and sharing all of his, his wealth with others because after all, you don't party alone. He probably had all these people around him that he was living and, and was living it up however he wanted to live. And now he's in a situation where as a, as a good Jewish boy, he's, he's working for a Gentile tending to pigs, which Jewish boys would never have done. And not just as he's tending to pigs, but he's like, Oh man, what they're eating, it looks so good. Like how far has he fallen that this is where he's at? This is where he's at. Now, it's very easy for the story to end right here because these kinds of stories end right here all the time. People fall from where they were living. They fall from what their life looked like. They've fallen into this other kind of life. And this is where the story ends all the time. There's so many stories that end just right here where where where. All, the only thing that's left is the destruction that's come with your choices. And honestly, probably some of us wish the story ended right here because we like justice and we like people to get what they deserve. We like people to, to have to suffer the, the consequences of their choices and to reap what they sow. But very thankfully, uh, this is not the end of the story. So the next verse here, verse 17, says, when he came to his senses, I love that line, when he came to his senses, when he woke up, when he remembered who he was, when he remembered who his father is, when he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and he went to his father. 
Now we're going to keep reading this story the next couple weeks, and we're going to look at more characters that show up. We've got the younger son, we've got the father, we've got the older brother, and that's going to be where we go over the next three weeks. And, and again, usually when you read this story, you're drawn to the homecoming after he gets up and goes back to his father and how his father replies to him and responds with, with generosity and joy and kindness. We'll see that next week, the extravagant love of God. But I, I don't want to rush into that response, that return yet, because I think there's some, some benefit in, in pausing and considering this younger son. Because the story of the younger son is true for all of us. Like there is, there is no one who hasn't lived this story because the story of the younger son is a story of betrayal. It's a story of selfishness. It's a story of broken relationships. It's a story of settling for less than what God has for you. And all of us have lived this in one way or another. Now, there may be some of us who are spiritually prideful and arrogant. And we think, well, I've never lived that story, but you have, all of us have. In, in some way or another, all of us have been the younger son who's, who's gone to live in the distant land, far from what God has for them, living far from what the Lord would desire. And, and we've all gone in some way, some fashion to that distant land to live. Now, now some of us have, have gone there in like big and obvious ways. And there's some of us in our church who have stories that are like that, where your life was like the son who was feeding pigs and wishing there was something else because you hit rock bottom. I mean, we, we've all heard those kinds of stories we have in our church, stories of, of, uh, of addictions or maybe abuse, stories of, of, uh, of, of even crime even, stories that really have, have just destroyed people. And, and there's big, obvious ways that sometimes we go and live in the distant land. But you know what? More often than not, we don't have these big, obvious stories that cause us to go live in the, the distant land. More often than not, it's, it's like subtle ways. More often than not, there are these like small things that start to build up in our lives where we just kind of drift into the distant land. And maybe it's not even intentional choices that we've made because there's not these big milestone markers that we've decided, oh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do this and that's, that's where it leads us to the destruction. But, but more often than not, we, we just kind of drift into this distant land. And, and we've all seen this as well. I mean, I think about how this happens in different stages in life. I think about, for instance, I mean, we've all seen this, uh, a young adult who, who starts to have questions about their faith and they're not quite sure what they believe anymore. And maybe they give up on church, but not quite. And they just kind of drift off into another life altogether. Or I think about what it's like when you're raising kids and you're doing things every night of the week and, and your weekends are full of tournaments and, and, and now all of a sudden you used to have these friendships, you used to have these relationships, this grounding in, in the church or, or with other Christians, but now you're on the go all the time and you're exhausted, your job is demanding, there's all these pressures coming at you. Maybe I'm just describing my own life, I don't know, but there's all these things coming at you that you just you, you, you just kind of get unmoored and, and, and after a while you start to drift off into a distant land that's not the relationship that you used to have with God. Or I think about what happens, I've seen this a lot with uh, empty nesters or re folks who are in early retirement where, where, where uh, their weekends get filled, their calendars get lifted, and all of a sudden they, they have this new freedom. And so they get maybe less moored from where they used to be, the relationships, and they start to travel more. They, you know, they go by the lake house, they do all those kinds of things. There's nothing wrong with any of that, but, but sometimes what that causes is it, is it causes us to drift, to lose sight of where we were going because now we've got these, these other things that we're pouring into all of a sudden and we just kind of start to drift. It happens happens in, in all kinds of ways, in all stages of life where, where there's this temptation to take our eyes off of where we were going and we just kind of start to drift off into the distant land away from what God has for us, this, this life of living in His family. It reminds me of what C.S. Lewis writes in, 
in probably my favorite of C.S. Lewis books. It's called The Screwtape Letters. I, I love The Screwtape Letters, my favorite of all of C.S. Lewis' writings. And The Screwtape Letters, is a, it's, a, it's a book that's written as a series of letters from one demon to another, which, I mean, doesn't that sound interesting in and of itself? It's a book written in the voice of demons, one demon writing to another. And, and it's, a, it's the story of a, of a demon writing a series of letters to a younger demon, trying to uh, mentor and teach this demon about how do you lead someone away from God? How, how do you destroy someone's life, destroy their faith, lead them away from what God has for them off into the distant land? And, and in one of those places, the, the demon writes with such incredible wisdom here that in the voice of the demon, uh, that one of the ways that you do this is, is not through big, obvious ways, but more often you do it through subtle ways. Let me read to you just a short excerpt here. Here's what he writes here. says this, um, but do remember the only thing that matters is the extent to which you separate the man from the enemy. Now, remember, this is written in the voice of a demon. So the enemy here is, is Jesus, it's Christ. So the only thing that matters is the extent to which you separate the man from the enemy. It does not matter how small the sins are, provided that their cumulative effect is to lead the man away from the light and out into the nothing. Murder is no better than cards if cards can do the trick. And then listen to this next line. Indeed, the safest road to hell is the gradual one. The gentle slope, soft underfoot, without sudden turnings, without milestones, without signposts. There is so much truth in the last sentence. I'm gonna to read to you one more time. It's so good. Indeed, the safest road to hell is the gradual one, the gentle slope, soft underfoot, without sudden turnings, without milestones, without signposts. This is the safest road to hell is when you don't notice it. It's when you slowly drift and you don't realize where you're drifting towards. And what happens so often is that we drift towards this distant land where we find ourselves living far from God. And I can't help but hear that and think about this drifting and this gradual slope. And I can't help but think about what life has been like in the last 18 months. Because I, I can't see life now 18 months, and, and compared to what it was like 18 months ago, and, and I can't help but, but see how my concern for the health of our church just continues to grow the longer we stay in this pandemic season that we're in. And when I say the health of the church, I don't, I don't mean like the organizational health of the church, like our finances or anything like that. I mean, we're doing very well in that way. And I'm not talking about, you know, some of the questions we have around our denomination, the United Methodist Church, and the mess that, that, that that's in. I'm not talking about that either. What I, what I mean is, I have a growing concern that as we've been in these last 18 months, this pandemic, that there's so, so, so many people who are slowly drifting into the distant land and they don't realize it. It's like the gradual slope. There's no milestones. There's, there's nothing there that's really obvious or, or clear to them, but it's just this, this drifting, this gradual kind of taking our eyes off of where we want to go into, into somewhere else. And, and I, I have this, this growing concern because I just, I'm afraid that there's more and more people who are losing the grounding that they used to have before the pandemic began because life is just so different now. For instance, I think, about, uh, I think about my wife and I, Abby. For the last 20 years, uh, one of the core practices of our life has been to be in small groups. 
uh, like Bible study groups, home groups, uh, life groups, what we call them at Schweitzer. And, and we've, we've filled our home with these groups. We've been in other group, people's homes and we've built these relationships. And this has been like a core thing for us. Like one of the major drivers of spiritual growth for both Abby and myself, individually, both and in our marriage, like, like there's something really important and significant about gathering with others, building relationships with others, um, sharing your life with others who are, who are going in the same direction of life as you are because it helps you stay focused. It helps you stay on the path that you wanna be on, the target that you have. And there's something really special about reading the Bible and studying the Bible with others and hearing their thoughts about it. And it helps me uh, have bigger thoughts about God and what he can do in my life and in the world. And it's just, it's just such an instrumental thing. And so for 20 years, Abby and I made this a weekly, a weekly commitment that we were always gonna be in these kinds of groups because it's been so helpful for us. And then came COVID. And now all of a sudden this like core practice of our faith has become incredibly difficult to do. And it's not like this is an intentional choice that we've made to say, oh, we're gonna abandon that practice. No, it's more like, oh, life has changed. And, and now because we're, we're not grounded in the same way that we used to because it's harder to do, there's a natural drifting that, that becomes a temptation before all of us. And so I'm, I'm concerned that as we've gone through this, this pandemic of 18 months at this point, that there's some of us who are becoming ungrounded from some of the practices and the, and the relationships and, and the things that have kept us on the target of where we're trying to go in our life. And we, without realizing it, we're just slowly drifting. Because one of the things that I think what's happened for a lot of us for the last 18 months is we've, we've been living our life on pause. Because we keep thinking, you know, we'll get back to church, we'll get back to that relationship, that friendship, we'll get back to that group, you know, when the pandemic is over, but the pandemic isn't over. And, and so we just keep kind of living our life on pause. And I'm, I'm afraid that there's a lot of folks who are also living their faith on pause, that, we've, that we haven't been investing and we haven't been serving and seeking out a relationship with God. And the result of that is that we are just slowly drifting. It's the gradual slope. It's no milestones, there's no markers, but what you end up with is you end up drifting slowly and slowly and slowly towards the distant land. And it doesn't really matter if you go to the distant land because you have these big obvious things that you do in your life, or if you slowly drift there. The point is, either way, you're living far from home. You're living far from God. You're living far from the relationship that He has for you. And so as we, as we think about this story today, we're gonna to keep it going next week and we're gonna re read about the return of the sun and it's so incredible, the extravagant love of God. But as we, as we pause here today and think about the younger son, I just want us to ask some questions about this. I wanna ask us, I mean, are, are we living in the distant land? Are you living in the distant land? Or, or maybe you're not there right now, but, but have you been drifting in that direction? Because maybe you've been becoming ungrounded from some of the things that used to keep you solid and, and connected to Christ, connected to his people, connected to the life that he has for you. We just slowly start to drift. And I can't help but think that in this pandemic era, what a great tool that Satan can use to distract us and keep us off the target, keep us off the path that we wanna go. I mean, think about it. We are living in an era of incredible anxiety. What a great tool for Satan to use to start to just fill our, our minds with more and more and to feed off that anxiety that's all around us, which when that happens, we just slowly drift. 
Or, or I think about how there are these, maybe these practices we used to do, spiritual practices, spiritual disciplines. As we live our life on pause, we, we get lazy with these things and maybe we don't pursue God with the same disciplines that we used to have because we've been kind of waiting for life to get back to how it was. Or I think about how you know God uses people in our lives all the time. And maybe there were used to be people that you saw on a regular basis that encouraged you and inspired you and challenged you. But now, you know, we do this from our homes and, and, and we have different kinds of ways we interact with people. We don't, maybe we don't even see these people anymore. And, and again, what a great tool for Satan to use to slowly distract us. So as we think about the younger son today, the distant land where he goes to live, you know, I just want to ask you a simple, simple question. I mean, self-assessment kind of question. You're the only one who can answer it. But I just wonder, like, how is your life with God these days? How is your relationship with the Lord? Is it what it was 18 months ago? Are, are you growing? Are you serving the Lord? Are you serving his people? Are, are you connected to others? Are, are you seeking him in the scripture and in prayer? Like what does your relationship with the Lord look like these days? Or have the last 18 months maybe taken your eyes off of where you're going? And, and maybe if you were to be honest with yourself, you'd say, you know what, there's, there's been some drifting. There's a gradual slope and there's no milestones, no markers. It's not real clear maybe where these things happen. But, but if I was honest with myself, I'm not where I wanna go. And, and I'm not heading in the direction that I want to be. And if that's you today, hear the invitation to come home, to be like the younger son and to wake up, to, to, to come to your senses and to remember who you are and remember who your father is. And when you do that, there's an invitation to come home. Let's pray together. And so Father, today, uh, we consider this distant land, this story of this younger son, and, and truthfully, so many of us have drifted. So many of us have, have, have taken our eyes off where we're going, and, and now we're living in a place that we don't want to be. And we can recognize it if we look at the big picture. And so, Father, today, would you stir us? Would you convict us? Would you invite us into relationship with you? No matter who we've been, what we've done, where we've been, what our life has looked like, no matter if we've been active in serving you and seeking you or lazy in this, we know that there's an invitation to come home. An invitation to come to the Father who rejoices when the lost are found. And so Lord, today we, we put our trust, our hope, our faith in you. For some of us, we need to make a declaration, a, a strong statement of faith, a, a welcoming home to you that we're coming to you. And so in our own lives, our own hearts, our own minds, we just want to say this prayer. Lord, would you forgive me my sins? Would you forgive me the way I've been living? And would you lead my life that I could find you and follow you fully? Lord, we love you. We thank you. We praise you today. In the name of Jesus, our Savior, we pray. Amen. Hey, thanks friends for worshiping with us today. We are so glad that you've taken a moment of your day, time, and, and, and found yourself in worship. Thanks, Stephanie, for showing us ways where we can connect and grow deep in our faith. Thanks to the worship team for the ways that you guided us today. Thanks, Spencer, for opening up the scriptures and bringing us the word of God. If you know somebody that would find this message helpful to the place they're at in life, we encourage you to take a moment and share this on social media. We look forward to week number two coming up next week. We hope you'll join us again. Have a great week. The Lord bless you.